Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Paragon Sports Consulting Podcast. My name is Colby Drost. I'm the president and founder. Paragon Sports Consulting is a player advising firm helping players of the ages of 14 to 20 navigate their path to college hockey. Today, we've got Toby Harris here from the Jersey Hitman of the NCDC. Uh, Toby uh, played prep school at Governor's Dummer Academy, uh, went to Northwood School, went on to Boston College, played some professional hockey, and has spent uh, his whole 16 years coaching at the Jersey Hitman, um, 13 years as the head coach. Uh, he's had over 216 NCAA commits, uh, six NHL alumni, uh, and tons of wins and championships from the leagues evolving from the EGHL to USPHL Premier to the NCDC. Uh, Toby, what's going on? Not much, Colby. Good to talk to you. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And like I said, we, we just want to get to know more about your, your organization and the league. And um, I guess to start it off with, like, I guess to touch on, like, I always am interested to hear, like, how did you get into coaching? I guess how did that kind of uh, transpire? And, um, you know, how do you think it's developed over the last 16 years, you know, personally? Well, I got into coaching in a, in a roundabout way. Um, my college roommate at Boston College was Peter Masters. And um, we had known each other for quite a long time growing up playing against each other in the old Metro League, which is now the EHF in Boston. And Peter and I, every summer, would do camps um, with the guys that we play with at BC. So we would rent ice in LA. We would rent ice in, in Florida. Uh, myself, Jerry Buckley, Brendan Buckley, uh, Chris Masters, and we would just go out and do camps and almost turn it into a trip. And then that kind of turned when Mr. Masters bought the Junior Bruins off of Ted Kelly uh, back, geez, I want to say it was, uh, when we were in, in, in college, it was early 90s. And we started doing skill sessions for the junior Bruins in the summer. So when I graduated from BC, I went overseas and played in Germany and I would come back in the summers. I would live with Peter Masters and Peter at the time played a little bit in the East Coast League and then January took over the junior Bruins in 1997. <clears throat> so for me, I would live with Peter in the summers, train, skate, work out and then go back to Europe and play overseas. So that's kind of how I got into coaching somewhat um, as just kind of, you know, staying with it over the summer and working camps and so on and so forth. And the way I got into coaching was uh, after finishing playing, I got offered a, a job to run a rink down in uh, New Jersey. And, and when that happened, I, I hooked up with Glenn Heffernan and Jim Hunt and, Got, became part of the AAHA development program down here, working with the, uh, the players in USA Hockey. And um, after working at Bridgewater Sports Arena for a couple of years, Peter had called me and said, hey, we want to expand, you know, Apple Corps in the area. We want to get into Jersey. Do you think you can put a team together? And that's kind of how it all started. So um, in 03, 04, I started recruiting a team. We named Jim Hunt as the coach, and we kicked it off in 04, 05, and Jim was the original coach. I was the uh, general manager, assistant coach, and recruiter. Gotcha. And it's kind of developed into, I mean, now the Hitman, I mean, it's come such a long way. I even remember, like, it was a fast uh, ascent to you guys being really good. I mean, at least when I was growing up, and now you guys have had a ton of success with wins and, and kind of uh, moving guys on. 
you know, could, like talk about the progression for a lot of people that if they do listen, when they do listen to this, uh, you know, about the Hitman organization, like, you know, how it started, you know, with the leagues, how the league has developed from the EJ to the USPHL to NCDC and kind of what you've seen over that time with it. Well, it's been really interesting because when we came down into the area, I would say the top team in this area was the New Jersey Rockets with the head coach, Daniel O'Brien, and they were in the Met League, which was, I guess, a junior B league at the time. And when we came into the area, people were saying, what's this EJHL? Where, did, you know, where are you guys going to play? And where are you going to get your players? And we started the first year at Bridgewater. And then the second year, uh, Larry Thomas built a brand new arena in Flemington. We moved over to Flemington for our second year. And then in our third season, uh, we moved up to the Ice Vault. And in season number four, uh, Peter Masters sold the Jersey Hitmen to Bobby Reese, the owner of the Ice Vault. And we've been in the Ice Vault ever since. And like you said, with kind of our, our rise, our, our quick ascent, um, when I took over in the fourth season, we won the EJHL championship. So, you know, we went for a team that was battling to make playoffs. We made playoffs and then we won kind of in about uh, three and a half, four years. But the, the EJHL was a very interesting league because it was before kind of USA hockey started kind of getting into uh, spreading out in, in touching a lot of areas with junior hockey back when we started in, in, in 04, it was the USHL, it was the NAHL, and then it was just, you know, uh, Junior B was the Met League, and we were actually Junior D independent. But what was interesting is that first year that we were in the EJ, there were eight teams, and there were 72 Division One players in the league. When we won the championship in 07, 08, there were 10 teams in the league and we had 92 D1 commits. I mean, we had a lot of guys were staying home. Uh, a lot of guys were leaving prep school to come to our league because it was more of like a mom and pop feel. Nobody really owned rinks. You know, at the end of the season, they turn the jerseys back in, you'd wash them, you give them to them the next year. It was just kind of, to me, like more pure hockey. There weren't a lot of hands in the cookie jar at the time. And, you know, then the businessmen started getting involved and there were teams were selling for big numbers and they were getting attached to rinks and kind of that's been the evolution of it. We went into the USPHL premier um, about eight years ago. And, and with that, we had, uh, you know, businessmen and million dollar budgets. And then obviously we've grown now to the NCDC where it's been tuition free. And, you know, because we, we don't, really go after the fans were more about development going after the scouts and, you know, not playing during the week so we can get our training in and only playing, um, you know, kind of when the colleges aren't or trying to um, it's, it's kind of changed a little bit. And I think we're in the infancy of this league, but I see it kind of moving in the right direction. I see we've cut some coaches and we cut some teams out of the league and we've added new operators, new coaches, I think better franchises. And I'm excited for where it's going to go. And, you know, that's the one point that when I talk about the NCDC, I talk about, Hey, we're going into our fourth year, you know, the, the USHL, the North American league, 
I mean, they're, they're going into 40, 50, 60 years now. They've been in, in existence. So, you know, we want, to, we want to walk before we run, but I think we're, we're taking the steps in the right direction. Yeah, I, don't, I think what people don't realize, too, is, like, when the EJ was going full steam, like, you had, like, Santini playing, it came through it, like, Charlie Coyle came through it. So, like, the NCDC is trying to, like, get itself kind of established and going, and, and it could eventually, you know, work its way back into that, where you see that kind of same model. And that, that was pay-to-play at the time, right? Oh, yeah, it was pay-to-play, and it was, it was about $8,500 a player. And, you know, we had Brett Pesh playing, I mean, paying to play. You know, Connor Clifton. Bobby Butler, Jack Eichel, Connor Garland, Charlie Coyle, Wagner. I mean, like the list goes on and on and on of guys that just wanted to stay home. And instead of playing for, you know, uh, Noble and Greenall, they decided, oh, I could play 65 games here. It's a third of the price. You got guys like Scott Harlow and Peter Masters and, you know, Steve Santini coaching. Like, why not? Yeah, you even had that Valley team the one year. I don't remember if you – they all stayed home, the kids from prep, and played together. There was – I think it was like – was it Fitzgerald and all those kids? Fitzgerald, yeah. And um, uh, there were three or four guys on that team, but it was another team that was excellent. You know, I mean, that's – and that's kind of what we're trying to get back to right now. Yeah, so, like, just moving into now with the NCDC, like, kind of touch on, you know, obviously I think – pretty much everyone's pretty familiar with it, but just like the location, maybe the benefit of that, what it's all about and what you've seen with the caliber of competition over the last couple of years and, and what you think uh, this year will be, what it'll look like. See, what I've always said is I think, you know, as a player, you need to choose a team and then you need to choose a team within a league that you trust in. Sure. Um, a lot of guys in, in, and I've been recruiting now, you know, 17 years. It's all about, in the in the in their first steps or they're or dipping their toe in the in the deep end I should say everybody wants to play in the USHL which I get but it's I don't care where I am I just want to be in that league and I don't know if that's always the right kind of mentality to have and I think that's where the NCDC is a little bit different because we pride ourselves on on development and we pride ourselves on being kind of like a a local kind of, you know, mom and pops, like I said, getting back to the EJ, a mom and pops kind of organization, but, you know, with, with very good businessmen behind us, we know that our product, we're always going to have sticks. We're always going to have a bus. The lights are always going to be on in the rink. We're going to be ready to go because, you know, these guys have stepped into it with their eyes wide open, but, you know, versus being on buses and traveling a ton, the NCDC is, we give our players 24 hours a week in training. That's what I really hang my hat on. We have a full-time strength and conditioning coach. We have a full-time skills coach. We have a full-time goalie coach, yoga instructor, boxing instructor, 25,000 square foot weight room, synthetic ice shooting range. You know, we get up in the morning at nine o'clock and we leave the rink at, at three, three thirty. And, and that's something that throughout the league is mandated that we have that ice time, that we have those strength and conditioning coaches, that we have those uh, midweek games need to be okayed by the league because we don't want to miss out on days of development. And I think it's good for a lot of guys that just need that little extra in their body and their strength that may be developing a little bit slower, that you can come to this league and it can really be a springboard to 
you know, NCAA colleges. Yeah, I think too, like efficiency, right? Like you guys, you said you're not on the bus, uh, maybe a little bit more than you should. And, and for some kids, I think that that does help them, right? Like they can get that extra rest, get the most out of practices, things like that and, and play. What do you guys typically play? Is it Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, besides showcases? Yeah, we generally try to do Saturday kind of early evening games. So so colleges, if they have the ability, uh, to, you know, especially when we're in Boston, play like a 3.30, 4 o'clock game so they can maybe come and catch a period and then shoot back down to Com Ave and coach their game and then come back on Sunday and watch a whole game. We generally stay away from Friday nights um, just because Friday Fridays, you know, a lot going on with the coaches, getting their kids to school, you know, getting ready for the games. Whereas Saturday, they're playing Saturday night. They got Saturday morning to get out. Um, you know, after breaking down film or whatnot, but Sunday's the open day. And, you know, that's why we obviously have some kind of wacky scheduling. Like this season, we've made a, a league decision to have the Islanders Hockey Club Showcase be an NCDC-only event, and we're going to hold it on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And they're going to be 1 o'clock to six o'clock games and people say, Oh, you're not going to get fans. You're not going to, it doesn't matter. We're going to be packed with scouts mid November, you know, right before the prep school start right before Thanksgiving. I mean, I think it's a brilliant idea and we're just trying to do things differently because we're not gate driven, you know, we're commitment driven. Sure. Sure. And can you touch on even, I know the Islanders put on a good showcase, but even all the other ones uh, like BJB Beantown and how those benefit the kids at the Hitman. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's something that the from the EJ to the USPHL to the NCDC that's carried over is our whole showcase model. Um, we want to, to to allow the colleges to come out and see everybody as much as they can. So, for instance, with us this season, and I can only speak on on the hitmen when it comes to the the showcases, but I'll hit on all the league showcases, Colby, in this, and that's. You know, the weekend of September 18, 19, 20, the Beast Midget Showcase is coming to New Jersey, and they're going to be at the Ice Vault. And what we're going to do is we're going to wedge in a couple NCDC preseason games there. The following weekend, um, the weekend of September 24th, 5th, and 6th, we're going to have the USPHL Exhibition Showcase, where we're going to have six teams in, in our building, and that'll be our second showcase. The following weekend is the Junior Bruins Tournament, uh, the weekend of October 1st, and that's going to be a league-wide showcase to kind of kick off the season um, up at the New England Sports Center. The week after that, the week of the 6th, 7th, and 8th of October, is the Hitmen Classic, where we have all the top 16, 18, and NCDC teams in our building again. Uh, Towards the end of the month is the Beantown Classic, which, as you know, is one of the the biggest fall scouting opportunities going. Uh, 16s, 18s, NCDC, uh, everybody under one roof up at the New England Sports Center again. And then in November, the IHC Classic. So our two preseason exhibition showcases, the Junior Bruins, the Hitman Classic, the Beantown Classic, and then – the Islanders Hockey Club Showcase at Merrimack, we're going to have six showcases before November 15th. Yeah, and I think, too, what people don't realize, or maybe they do if they're from the Midwest, maybe not, but 
there's a ton of midget hockey at those events too. So it kind of is everything under one roof for colleges or, or even, you know, if it's USHL scouts, they're all in under one rink and the New England sports center where a lot of these take place. What does it have now? 10 rinks. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so just a ton of hockey being played, um, you know, kind of moving into the league. Like I know the, the league has a little bit of a, a different rules that kind of allow for more potential players and international players and things like that. For someone that doesn't know those rules, like what is the limit on 20 year olds, you know, imports? What does that look like? Uh, this season, we're going to be allowed to have 10 20 year olds or 10 2000s per team. Uh, our protected list consists of 23 players. Um, goaltenders do not count against that 2000 count. So, you know, you could legitimately have 12 2000s on the team. I would tell you right now, looking at our protected lists, um, every team has roughly six to seven, um, but nearly every team has one 2000 goaltender. So uh, we like to do it from the top down, whereas the USHL mandates uh, a younger crop saying, uh, you know, you got to have so many 04s on the team and they have to play so many games. Our parameters are we can carry 10 2000s not counting goaltenders, and we can have unlimited uh, international players. So it's a little bit different. And, you know, we found that um, with the rules in USA Hockey and Tier 1 and Tier 2, that a lot of very good, um, you know, international players weren't making their way over here that wanted to. And we found that we've been able to find a landing spot for them, even with our 16s and 18s. Yeah, I think that's it's pretty unique about the league. And also, a lot of people that don't maybe know is, is the league has a tender process now, futures draft, and a, and a regular draft. Maybe touch on, I know you can't speak for everybody, but how the Hitman kind of use those to, to find players and sign them and, and even how you can, you know, use some of those drafts for the future. Yeah, I mean, the process is we have our futures draft uh, January in season to, and it's a six-round draft. And I think that for us with the Hitmen is we want to kind of draft local guys. I mean, guys that, hey, they might be going off to prep school, but we'll see them in a couple of years. Or, you know, guys that might be playing um, locally for another organization that we want to bring over and start training and move up the ladder with the Hitmen. So, you know, our futures draft, I would tell you in the past two years, if we've had 18, uh, three years, we've had 18 picks. Um, we've taken a couple guys from out of the area, you know, a guy from Connecticut or a guy from New York State. But mostly we like to draft kind of in-state with guys that would like to, you know, start grooming for the NCDC under our roof. Uh, after that, when the season ends, uh, our tender process kind of kicks in and each team is allowed eight tenders. And the way that we use our tenders with the Hitman is um, in the first four, or I should say three seasons, because we're going into the fourth, but in the first three seasons, uh, every player that we've tendered has actually been on our roster except for one guy. So we've 23 out of our 24 tenders um, have played here. The one guy ended up going to Des Moines um, and committed to Penn State. So he went early and uh, we tried to get him early, but uh, it didn't work out, unfortunately for us, but very good player and he'll do well. And then that's followed by the uh, entry draft, which is a 12 round draft, which happens in May. And um, 
a lot of times teams will use that to bolster their roster for the season. A lot of times with us in the Hitmen, uh, we like to draft a year out, for instance. So this year, we were able to attain a couple of extra draft picks. We were able to draft 12 players. And I would tell you that three out of those 12 will play on our roster and 20, um, where the other nine we're kind of grooming, putting on our affiliate list for 21. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, a lot of parents are always asking me, or I'm sure a lot of people, but you know, if you don't get tendered, you don't get uh, drafted, obviously there's always a chance for free agents. And I know you guys do something unique where you have your main camp and it kind of goes into the weekend with the USPHL Summer Showcase. Maybe touch on how, you know, even if you're, you know, maybe you don't get out and see certain kid, but there's still an opportunity for free agents and how that might work. Yeah, I mean, it's it's tough for me because, you know, we're playing on the weekends and we're we're working hard during the week. I mean, I don't leave the rink during the week till about five o'clock. And a lot of times those prep school games are one o'clock at Avon or whatever it might be. So we do have a director of player personnel, which we send out on the road and giving, you know, gives me reports. And then from there, what I'll do is I'll go on uh, hockey TV or I'll go on hockey barn or, you know, if something is carried on Instat, I'll go there and I'll try to see that player. But, you know, if I can't and I have a good report and I have a good rapport with the coach and, and an advisor like yourself, you know, we'll bring that guy into camp. And, you know, for me, we always like to keep camp small. We like to keep camp intimate because for us, it's not a, a money grab. It's not to, to fill the coffers. For us, it's, it's an opportunity to build a championship team. And what we do at camp is we'll go to camp Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We'll have the guys have a, we'll have a goalie session. We'll have a couple practices for each team. And then every team will play each other once. And we like to cap camp at about a hundred skaters. Um, you know, this year we're going a little bit smaller with the COVID and whatnot, but we cap it at a hundred skaters. And then we've done something unique over the past three years. And that's, we've turned around and we've used that player's uh, entry fee into camp. We've taken, rented a team bus, uh, paid for hotel rooms and sent the top 40 all-stars up to the USPHL Summer Classic. So, you know, in doing that, we get to obviously see how they're going to fare against somewhat of tryout teams, NCDC competition, but it gives us the opportunity to watch guys, how they travel, how they prepare, how they eat, what they're like on the bench in competition versus just in a kind of stale tryout setting. So, you know, for us, it's, it's, it's done pretty well for us because in the last three years, you know, we've been able to have 52 Division One commitments. We've been able to win, um, you know, three championships. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's going to change for us because out of camp, we've been able to find some gems that have been sent to us that we haven't seen. You know, kids, uh, a defenseman last year, 03 defenseman from Quebec that came in and we took him. And, you know, it was just one of those situations where every season – We've been able to sign guys out of our camp to our NCDC team. Or last year alone, we put 12 guys that were in our main camp back onto other teams in the league. Yeah, there's just too many players out there today. So there's always room for, for someone to fall through the cracks. And, and just it just takes an opportunity. And 
I guess some people are always weary, like, oh, should they even go? Is it even worth it? But it's good to hear with you guys that it's a genuine opportunity and it's a, it's a chance for someone to come in and, and just kind of show their stuff for, for a week and see if it works out for both sides. Um, but you touched on, like, the director, player, personnel. Like, you know, obviously, you know, what other kind of support staff is there, you know, as far as your assistant coaches, skills coaches, goalie coaches, kind of touch on that and then feed that into kind of what, what maybe a weekly schedule Monday to Friday looks like. I know it changes week to week, but kind of a general idea. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I alluded to earlier, we put a lot of time and effort into our support staff. I mean, we actually have nine full-time employees here just with the NCDC team. Um, and our daily schedule is we come in Monday morning after a weekend and we like to pride ourselves in a, a little Belichickian, uh, no days off uh, feeling because, you know, we like to team up with our, our nutritionists and our yoga instructor and our strength and conditioning coach and allow them to kind of tailor make a weekly schedule. For instance, if we play in a showcase and we play Friday, Saturday, Sunday, well, when we come in on Monday, we might just do band work or we might just do stretching or we might just do yoga. But um, that's the only time our schedule really changes. But what we do is Monday, we bring the guys in. We have them do an hour of power skating with our power skating coach. They go upstairs. They do their day one lift and their day one yoga. Uh, on Tuesday morning, we bring them in and they do a dynamic stretch upstairs with our strength and conditioning coach. Um, then we go on the ice for our practice. And then after practice, we have uh, – day two yoga, day two lift in a video session. Uh, on Wednesday morning, they start off with an hour with our skills coach. They get off the ice. They have a snack in the food pantry that we have. And then we're back on the ice for a team practice. And then Wednesday afternoon is sprint work. We like to call it energy systems. Um, Thursday morning, we start with a boxing circuit where our guys hit the heavy bag and the speed bag uh, with our boxing coach. Then we have a full day of special teams. Then we do day three lift, day three yoga. And then on Friday, we bring our goalie coach in and we have our forwards shoot on one end on the goalie coach. So it's a little bit of a flip-flop, Colby, where, you know, I'll be running drills for the forwards and the goalies are taking shots during the week. Whereas on Friday, the goalie coach is doing goalie drills and the forwards are shooting. Um, down the other end, our defensive coach does – the, uh, the practice on the other end is only our D. So, you know, you're going to get six ice touches a week. You're going to get uh, uh, two goalie sessions Monday with the goalies when the team's doing power skating and Friday with the goalies one-on-one. -on -one. Um, three lifts, three yoga, strength and conditioning, lifting, video, boxing. I mean, you know, that's where the 24 hours a week comes in. Yeah. You think a big part of that for you guys, like obviously uh, you guys are a little bit different than everybody else, but the resources and just having like really good solid ownership and being able to, you know, have long-term sustainability is it gives you all that opportunity to have that big support staff, all those opportunities to bring nutritionists in. Just there's a lot of junior programs that don't, that don't do that stuff or they can't, I, I don't know, you know, every team's different, but what would you, is, is ownership a big part of that? It's huge. It's huge. I mean, our ownership, I tell you, this year, our budget was over $400,000. And I saw another team up north that does very well in, in, in winning games and does very well in, in college commitments. And their budget was 
you know, just over 150,000. So, you know, for us, I believe our owner is a little like George Steinbrenner. You know, George made a lot of money, but George put a lot of money into the team. And I believe that's the way Bobby Reese is. He's selfless. He appreciates the time and effort we put in. Our guys never want for anything. If we go to him and we say, hey, we need some more or we need to stay an extra night or, you know, in playoffs two years ago, we had, um, we had to go to, you know, game three or back-to-back weeks. And then we had to drive up north to play the Islanders Hockey Club um, at the time with 17 Division One committed players on it. And, you know, we were going to go up that morning and play them that day. And, and we decided to go up early. We got a practice. We got a meal. And, you know, it made a difference. But he didn't, he didn't even budge when, when we asked that. So I, I think it's really important. And I think it's huge. And it kind of goes back to, Colby, what I was saying originally in our conversation about picking teams when you're when you're picking junior hockey and what do you want to get out of it? I mean, you know, with us, you're going to get that attention to detail. You're going to get that push. You're going to get that competitive nature. And obviously, you know, we're in a, in an area where you can't beat our exposure. I mean, we blow every team in North America out of the water with exposure to division one college now being within driving distance of 37 D one schools. Yeah, I think too. That's it's a huge piece to it. I mean, you can go to these events, and and there's guys that'll show up in the morning, and, and it's smart that your league will have games 10, 11 a.m. Some people might see that on schedule and be like, "What the hell?" But if you go to the game and you see, you know, there's uh, three hockey schools, Atlantic Hockey School, it, it all makes sense for the kids. You know what I mean? Um, Absolutely. So yeah, I, I could touch on like, so you got the players there. We touched on the support staff, like. I guess touch on like what's what's your coaching philosophy? What's Hitman hockey? Like what does that look like? I know it changes sometimes year to year with your recruiting class and things like that, but there's some general pillars of what that might look like for kids that might be interested in playing for you. Well, we've built everything into our little mantra that was brought to us from arguably our best captain, and we've had a lot of very good captains. But I would say arguably our best captain of all time, strictly because he was a springboard into what we are now. And his name was Mark Armstrong. And Mark Armstrong grew up in Tampa, played for the Cleveland Barons in the midget tier one elite league, was great, ended up going to Indiana and didn't have a great USHL first season and decided to take a shot on us in our in my first year in coaching, 07, 08. And when Mark came, he was a solid leader. He was vocal. He was hard on the ice. He stood up for his teammates. People followed him. And we ended up, you know, winning a championship that year. And over the summer, Mark sent me a video. And I'm going back, like I said, Colby, back to 2008. Yep. And it was about 2012. And the video was is and, and you could find it online it's about perseverance it's about pride it's about doing the little extra and what's behind to 2012 is it's 2012 degrees or 212 i'm sorry not 2000 212 degrees is where water boils so at 211 degrees you just have hot water but at 2012 degrees you have boiling water which you know, turns into steam, which can move that locomotive. And we've always kind of lived by that, where we're going to give that extra degree and we're going to push our guys. And, 
you know, that's kind of been our thing. And, and the guys that have bought in to our culture and bought into that 212 have gone on and done amazing things. And, you know, I think we've had way more guys that have bought in. And, and, I, and I will say, you know, it's not for everybody. You know, I, I mean, you know, lifting three times, doing yoga three times, skating six times a week, and then expecting during the game to constantly be moving forward constantly be aggressive, constantly be on the puck, you know, constantly skating, 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 trying to force teams into making mistakes. Um, it, it, you know, some players just can't do it. But for the guys that can, I believe their, their level goes, to, goes higher. You know, they take their game to the next level. And that's why, you know, in a league right now, that is roughly two or three Division I commitments per roster. You know, we've been double-digit D1 commits 11 out of the last 12 years. In the one year that we didn't have double-digit commitments was the year we won a championship, and our captain, Conlon Keenan, who was a three-time All-American at Geneseo and will be in the AHL next year, uh, slipped through the cracks. He would have been 10. <laughs> you know, so <laughs> it's just one of those things where um, we – be at LIU. If it was still there. It was yeah, there. yeah, that's right. <laughs> I think for us, I mean, to wrap it up, it would be really attention to detail on everything that we do. You know, there's no coach where we're we supposed to be or, you know, where's the tape or our skates didn't get sharpened. Nothing's left to chance. We have a blueprint. We have a plan. And that's why we do what we do. Yeah, and I think you hitting on, like, the perseverance and that heavy commitment with everything you make the players do and – and just that kind of consistency and reliability. I mean, bringing new kids into junior hockey, younger and older, I mean, what do you see uh, in terms of adjustment for some of those kids? What's the hardest thing? You know, obviously every kid's very different, but in general, what do you see that to be? Um, you know, I see the, the, the toughest thing, I think for, for a lot of those guys is January. You know, I mean, at the beginning, Everybody now works out. I mean, listen, when I was in college, my freshman year at BC, we did not have a strength and conditioning coach. And I mean, and that was 93, 94. So it wasn't like, you know, 15 decades ago. I mean, our, our sophomore year, we had a football, the football coach moonlighted with it in my junior year is when we got a full-time strength and conditioning coach who was a disciple of Mike Boyle. Meanwhile, down the road in Com Ave, Mike Boyle and BU were killing everybody because they had that guy that knew what he was doing. So, you know, for us, a lot of guys come in with that great baseline conditioning-wise. You know, sure. they have that skating coach. They have that strength and conditioning coach. But what I believe is the biggest adjustment is having to do it all the time. Like for us, our practices are hard. Our practices are fast. We'll stop practices and stick a boot up a guy's ass if we have to. You know, I mean, the bottom line is it's, we're not drones. We like to change things up. We have our core drills, but we will change things up and we will add new things. And, you know, for instance, last year, we had a first period forecheck and a second period forecheck. We changed things up. We had a second period breakout and a third period breakout. I mean, we were constantly working on different things in practice 
So in the games, we could utilize that and nobody could really get a bead on what we were doing. And there were games that we would stay with the first period four check the whole time. And there were games when we switched to second, we saw we had more success and we did the second period four check, the second and the third. You know, but the bottom line is, is we keep our guys moving, we keep our guys guessing, and we hold our guys accountable from the time they walk into the rink in the morning till the time that they leave. You know, it's constantly go, 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 go. Yeah, it sounds like everything you're doing, like I always tell kids, like you got you to gotta be at that level of junior, like consistent and reliable, because in midget you can get away being good five shifts and horrible five shifts, and no one's going to say anything sometimes, some programs, but – with what you guys are doing, I mean, at the highest levels, like those are the guys that are making it all the way. You know, no coach at the college level wants to, hey, we don't know what we're getting. Three shifts, three shifts, he's going to be good. And three shifts, he's average. Who knows? You know what I mean? Um, oh, 100%. And I, and I tell a lot of our guys, Colby, like you have to be a guy that can play on first line as a freshman, but needs to be able to play on first line, fourth line as a freshman. Yeah, if you exactly. can play on all four lines, you're going to have a spot at more than one school. You know, and our mentality is offer more to your game. Like, don't just be, hey, if you score goals in junior, you got to be able to be the two-way guy, be the skilled guy, be the whatever this college asks of you so you can move up and down the lineup so you you can fill any role that's thrown at you, an opportunity, right? I agree. And, and, you know, being able to have ownership, own the rink, and own the team, we're able to do things like on every single Thursday, we do shot blocking. We do 20 minutes, orange sponge pucks, shot blocking every single solitary week. You know, I don't know, of, and I've played on a few teams in my life. We've never done shot blocking, <laughs> you know? So it's just a little intricacy that we add that once again, if you know where the lane is, if you know where your stick positioning is, if you, cause just because it becomes commonplace, you can block a shot, you can play on the fourth line. If you're a flamingo, you don't even get that offer. Yeah. Yeah. I don't. And I think people, the guys that realize that quicker than others kind of enhance their game in all different ways. And just it's a little bit easier for them, right? It's still hard, but a little bit easier. Um, but like moving into like all the, you know, obviously player advancement's huge for you guys and, and moving on tons of guys to college and, and a lot of division one guys, you've also been able to win a lot of games and win a lot of championships. Like, what do you think some pillars are to that? And how important is it to getting to know these kids before they come in? You know what I mean? The type of human beings you have. I think it's extremely important. And, you know, as we were talking about off air, I think it starts with, you know, calling guys before the tender process, calling guys before the draft, getting to know them, listening to how they talk on the phone. You know, you want a player, and I don't care if the player's an 04 or a 2000 you want the kid to interact with you because you know what's coming down the line. You know that when a college guy calls him, he doesn't want to hear, yeah, yeah. today, yesterday. You know, like he, you want to be able to interact with that person. So, you know, with us, when we put a team together, it's like putting a puzzle together. You know, you need some corners, you need some middles, you know, you need a little jagged here, you need a little softness here. And, you know, I believe – forging that relationship and in talking with the player and in talking with the parents and, you know, being thorough and following up with emails and, you know, you know, always being on top of things is extremely important because, you know, when that guy comes into the room, he needs to know how you're going to coach him. And, you know, the one thing that I really find is important because, you know, playing at Boston college and, and I, and I say this a little bit to certain people when I recruit them, 
you know, when I, no matter if I had a weekend where I had four or five points or, or I had a weekend where I was minus three, every Monday I would peek around the corner and just to see what color jersey I was wearing, you know? I mean, it was, it was that hard because it was so many good players and, you know, there were so many stalls in that room. And, you know, my thing is I've always wanted to say with my players, I want you to be comfortable, but I don't want you to be complacent. I mean, there's a very fine line between confident, cocky, you know, taking a day off or, you know, just managing how you're feeling. And, and I think when, when I talk to guys and, and I watch them play, I tell them exactly where I see them fitting in our lineup. I tell them exactly about the guys that are ahead of them. I tell them exactly about the guys that are behind them. I tell them, this is where I see you. This is where you will start and the rest is up to you. If I want you to be my top line center and play on the power play and seven games in, you're minus eight with 15 penalty minutes and one goal and one assist. Well, you're not on the power play come game nine. And that's not because of me. That's because of what's transpired with your game. And we're not going to quit on you, but somebody's going to go by you. You're going to go down and let's see what kind of intestinal fortitude you have to get back to that spot. And I think that all starts in the recruiting process and allowing that person to understand how you do things, your, your appreciation for loyalty, your appreciation for buy-in, and what we've done in the past and when you put this jersey on is never going to weigh you down, but it's going to push you to want to be better than who came before you. Yeah, and I think too, like, uh, getting in, it's also, I guess, for you as a coach, I mean, maybe it's almost selfish as this, but it also is people you want to be around, right? Day to day, helping and kids that have like growth mindsets that want to learn and get better, right? Um, I think another thing too, like you touched on it earlier, but just the comfort and, and like picking an organization. I mean, I think a lot of things that go kind of, uh, you know, uh, people don't really think about, but maybe touch on even just like the area, like the billet homes and, and things that are outside of hockey. Like I'm from the area. I know it's, a, it's a great area. It's beautiful. But um, I think that kind of stuff gets lost when, and I don't think people realize like the player itself, if you're comfortable and you have a nice area to be in and obviously you're showing up to the rink every day and you're mostly playing hockey, all that stuff adds into even being a better player because you're happy and enjoying the experience. You've got a good group of guys, good coaching, maybe touch on that, the billet homes and things like that. Absolutely. I think it's very important that you're, comfortable and that's one of those things that I think for me as a coach um, was something that I've learned to do better as I've gotten older like you know six years ago we didn't have a billet form you know six years ago we didn't have a billet coordinator you know because we just figured okay like you know a guy will come in I'll make a phone call we'll put that kid in the house and the rest is history but now, you know, you need to know if, if somebody is gluten-free. You know, you need to know if somebody's afraid of dogs. You know, I remember a crazy story, you know, and it's, it's part of the reason why we brought in a bill coordinator and why we have a parent form now, which is three pages, and a player form now, which is three pages, is because we brought in a player from the North American League, and his dad was a preacher. And we ended up putting him into a home with an, uh, an, a, a, a Jewish family. And he used one of their plates to make bacon in the morning. And, and, and the, the mother came down and said, that's a, that's a milk a plate. Like you can't, and the kid had no idea what to do. 
And the mother called me and this kid needs to get out of here. He's making bacon on these plates. And, and it was just one of those things where until it happens, you don't know, you know, you just, you just don't know. So the comfort level and knowing the families and having these players meet the families and talk to them before they get there is huge. I mean, in, in our area, as you know, is a very well-to-do area. I mean, as a, it's, you can find whatever you want. You're, you're an hour from a, from a ski mountain. You know, you have the lakes, you have the rivers, you're 30 minutes from New York City, but you don't have the hustle and bustle of New York with, you know, the taxis and the, and the honking horns and the cabs. But if you want to get there, you can. And we've really built an awesome billet network. And um, our top player last year, Mickey Burns, his mother, Carrie, runs our billet program. And um, her and Brian are, are the salt of the earth people and are very well respected and well liked in, in Wayne. And, you know, last year we billeted 38 players and we had to move zero to another home or zero out. The only thing we did is, you know, we made four moves last year on the NCDC team. And, you know, we moved guys into those homes and, you know, they were great homes and they were great opportunities and they were good fits. Um, but billeting is the lifeblood of junior hockey. Yeah, and I think, too, you mentioned Mickey Burns. I think he's a unique situation, too. Like, I mean, obviously he has close roots and he trusts your organization and doing well. And, I mean, he's a kid who he could have went to the USHL, he could have went to the NA, the BC. And, I mean, he stuck, stuck to the process and he was happy where he was. And, I mean, he's obviously – I mean, this year he dominated the league, I would say, right? I mean, how many goals did he score? Um, 45 goals, but I'll tell you the crazy stat – 17 game-winning goals this year, which is outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. That's, I mean, yeah, like I said, and he's and he's got and he came through. Uh, I think one thing. I mean, we didn't really touch on, but even you guys have kind of a, a bottom-up with the midgets and youth. Uh, anything you want to add to that? With well, we've been lucky because you know, with the advent of the NCDC, um, the EHF up north kind of got involved and said they wanted to kind of team up with us in youth. So we were able to start a USPHL youth um, organization, or I should say uh, league. And, you know, now they get the opportunity twice a year to go up north and to play the Bay States and the Boston Junior Eagles and the Terriers and the Minutemen Flames, um, which I think is really unique and really exciting. I mean, it's, it's just like the NCDC, the USPHL youth is is in its infancy and you know i think it's only going to grow and i think it's only going to get better but what's great about the rink and what's great about the ownership is you know we have the bandits which is our tier two offshoot that goes from learn to skate all the way up to half season midgets now we have the tier one hitmen youth which goes from u10 all the way up to u18 and then you know, we have our, our junior B and junior C uh, levels with the elite and the premier uh, for local guys that want to play both high school and get that junior experience, um, which I think is unique because a lot of uh, states and a lot of teams don't allow players to play both, but we do. We're high school friendly with the hitmen. And, you know, guys like you just hit on Mickey Burns and John Campamanosi, and even a couple years earlier, Alex Whalen. I mean, these are three players that are high-level players that are, you know, full scholarship Division One players that started in the rink and learned to skate. And, you know, I'll tell you this. I saw Whalen yesterday 
uh, Colby. And I wouldn't be surprised if he's playing for the New York Rangers this year at some time. I mean, he looks unbelievable. Yeah, he's just taking huge steps. I mean, a lot of those kids, I mean, they're just going to continue to go up in their development and see where they land. And, I mean, you guys, even back all the way to the EJ, I mean, some of your alumni, I mean, like you said, you had Pesci and I forget who else off the top of my head, but a lot of guys that have come through the program and and kind of really uh, benefited from all the development you guys offer. Is there anyone else that we're missing that that you're pretty, I mean, maybe proud of all your alum, but others that stick out to you? Well, you know, I mean, obviously Connor Clifton came to us at 15 years old. You know, what was really unique about him is, we were able to move him to the NTDP for their last year, you know, the, the U17 team, U18 team, you know, and, and from there he was able to get drafted and, you know, obviously playing world junior championships and now is, you know, playing a regular shift for the Bruins. And, you know, I see him being there for a long time based on looking at their, what they have on that back end and what he brings, you know, I mean, guys like him in passion, um, you know, there have been so many guys, Timmy Clifton, who's doing well. And other than concussion this year in the AHL, you know, Jeremy Langlois, who, you know, came to us from the Phoenix Polar Bears in the Western State League, right. went on full scholarship at Quinnipiac, had a close to 150 points there, has played, uh, I think, over 250 AHL games. I mean, there have just been so many good players that have done so many good things. And even stories like Stephen Swavely, where, you know, John Swavely was playing in Brookings and played out there for three years. And we brought John in uh, five foot nine, 175 pounds. And, you know, he goes up to Maine and does well and, you know, says, hey, you should take a peek at my brother. brother." And I drove down one night to the Prue. He was playing for, uh, you know, Jerry Domish in the in the junior flyers. And I watched him play that night. And I said, you know, would you like to come to camp? And he did. And, you know, he ended up being a captain at Maine. And I think he's played seven years now for Lehigh Valley. So just, you know, little things like that put a smile on my face because it's, you know, it's one of those things where I say uh, sometimes coaches get caught up in wins and losses. But for me, it was, you know, I had to retire from the game because of concussions. So I always kind of keep that in the back of my mind that I never really got to close that book and I coach as a player if you know what I mean like an early in my career was something that I had to kind of grow with and mature because I would go crazy on the bench as I would as a player (laughs) you know what I mean like when offsides or goals didn't go in and you know it's been different now but I still have that in the back of my mind and what pushes me is the experiences that I had you know being able to go to Moscow with with USA hockey and, you know, being able to play in a bean pot and, you know, things along those lines were just unbelievable. And, and that's what excites me when these guys get the D one deals and they get the, they get the commitments and, and they're able to move on and, and experience these same things. Yeah, no, I, I really appreciate you coming on today. Like this uh, super informative, you guys are doing great things at the Hitman. And also, I, you know, I, it's, it's always interesting for people to listen and just kind of hear your little bit of your personality and get to know you, you know what I mean, a little bit and, and know what it's all about and what you guys are doing there. Because I think what gets lost in all this is like, well, what do they have to offer? And, and hearing that you guys have the yoga, the nutritionist, the support staff, the schedule, the exposure, like it's kind of an all in package. So really appreciate you coming on. And like I said, I just give you the last word. If there's anything you want to add, uh, any potential players or guys that are interested anything you want to add for them or where they can go to learn more about the hitman uh go ahead yeah well our website is www.jerseyhitmen.net um 
and everything is there. You can find my cell phone number, you can find my email address, but you know, we just really like to work with players that are serious about the game. You know, they're not doing it because their dad played or they're not doing it because girls like it, or they're not doing it because, you know, they want their hair to come out of the back of their helmets and have the flow going. You know, we want the guys that want to get better. We want the guys that want to put in the time. We want the guys that actually, you know, do the extra. And I think when we fill our team with those types of players, the competition breeds success. And you know right away, and it's one of the first things we say in our meeting, when the guys walk through the door, Colby, on day one, we hand them a 111-page booklet. And in that book, it's, you know, it's, it's rules of life. It's how we're going to win in the third period. It's nutrition. It's excerpts for movies. It's quotes. It's a lot of different things in that book. But the one thing that we say is look around because not everybody here is going to get through this. And, you know, the one thing about hockey is a lot of coaches don't like to say it, but we do make mistakes and we do try to see the best in a player when we watch the video. So my thing is, is I'm not perfect, but what, what you will get out of me is you're going to get 100% all the time. You're going to get me 100% calling coaches. You're going to get me 100% on Sunday mornings when we're playing that 9 a.m. showcase game. You're going to get 100% at 3 o'clock on a Tuesday. We're always pushing. We're always moving our guys forward. We want what's best for them. And in the end, everybody's happy. Yeah, and I think too, I mean, you're, you're really passionate about helping kids move on and it's, I'm in the rank and colleges are always saying that, you know, you gave them a call and, and uh, let them know about the kid or you got to get out here and see the kids. So you're always pushing guys to uh, get them opportunities, division one or division three. So really appreciate you coming on and, and uh, you know, good luck this year and hopefully things turn out, uh, you know, we get going in September, hopefully sooner than later. I hear you, Colby. Thank you so much for your time. And, um, as you know, if you ever need anything from me, I'm a phone call away. Thanks again for joining us with the Paragon Sports Consulting Podcast. Uh, visit us at paragonsportsconsulting.com. You can follow us across social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, at Paragon Athlete. Again, at Paragon Athlete. Look forward to hearing, seeing everybody in the near future with our next guest. Uh, stay safe. Stay safe.